This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Sue Ingalls Finan to the program. How are you doing, Sue? I'm doing wonderfully. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing well. Sue Ingalls Finan is author of the historical novel The Cards Don't Lie, published by She Writes Press. Sue Ingalls Finan taught American history and literature in Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Northern California. Her writing is featured in textbooks, anthologies, magazines, and newspapers. The Cards Don't Lie is her first novel. She lives in Sonoma County, California. The Cards Don't Lie is based on real-life accounts of women during the Battle of New Orleans, which took place in 1815. The battle was a great American victory over the British. The solid victory of General Andrew Jackson's American forces at New Orleans effectively ended the War of 1812 and helped ensure that the British would abide by the peace treaty that ended the war. You live in Sonoma County, California. What, what is your connection to New Orleans? Uh, I had visited New Orleans several times in, uh, just throughout my marriage, you might say, and fell in love with the city. And uh, then having taught uh, history, American history, I noticed that uh, there wasn't very much to do with the battle, much less uh, the War of 1812. So that also connected me because uh, I really enjoyed when visiting New Orleans, all of the culture that was there and the different uh, varieties of people that uh, were uh, spoken of on tours and the the museums, etc., and so I thought, well, this would make a good book. And mm-hmm. that's what happened. Yeah. Now, New Orleans is celebrating its 300th birthday, and you've already started to address this. What do you find to be important and interesting about uh, New Orleans? And I realize I'm saying New Orleans, I threw caution to the winds instead of trying to talk like a New Orleans person. I'll just go with New Orleans. Oh, yes. Um, what do I find interesting about it? Is that that was your question? Yes. Uh, that... It, well, we got there, the last time we were there was uh, after Katrina, and once again, I was struck with how the people had bonded together and uh, put together their city um, and were so friendly, uh, and it just uh, made my heart sing, you might say, and that's what I had found in my research also, was that they all had bonded for the battle dropping their cultural barriers, and certainly Jackson needed that. He had asked them to uh, help him because uh, he was outnumbered two to one with uh, the British. So that's, uh, you know, just the joy de vivre, I guess, and Mm -hmm. the uniqueness of the city. I uh, cobbed together a little paragraph about the Battle of New Orleans from Wikipedia, and that maybe have been it or some other source. And you correct me what I'm wrong about this. The Battle of New Orleans was fought on Sunday, January 8th, 1815, between the British Army under Major General Sir Edward Packenham, who was killed in the battle, and the United States, Arm- uh, United States Army under Brevet Major General uh, Andrew Jackson. It took place about five miles south of the city of New Orleans, close to the present-day town of Chalmette, Louisiana, and was an American victory. The battle effectively marked the end of the War of 1812. That sound right? That's accurate. Um, However, 
the odd thing is that it wasn't just one battle. They actually uh, survived three battles, um, and the first one being at night against the British when the British had landed in uh, Chalmette and, uh, and surprised the British because that just wasn't done, according to the Redcoats. Well, Jackson did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so the, the um, January 8th battle was the final battle, uh, and it is um, also the feast day of Our Lady of Prompt Success, who is the patron saint of Louisiana as well as uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It's also Elvis Presley's birthday, in case you wondered. <laughs> also, I was interested or had ne- never considered that the British had a lot of soldiers there. They had many ships offshore, and this was a big campaign for them. Yes, they did. They had over 5,000 soldiers, excuse me. And, um, yeah, they they thought it was going to be a very easy route because they had just uh, beat Napoleon. Uh, They had had quite a few successes uh, previously in uh, America, such as burning down Washington. Uh, And uh, so they thought it was going to be very simple because they had the superior weaponry, uh, the leadership, um, the experience, and they just thought they were going to uh, take over the city and have access to all of Louisiana. Hmm. Well, let me ask you to to talk more about your book or or something about your your book, The Cards uh, Don't Lie. Uh, I'm going to ask you about your cast of uh, characters or the main characters that I've I've heard about. Um, There's a woman you describe named Catherine, a free woman of of color, a voodoo priestess, and a healer. Uh, Can you tell us about her? Yes. She, um, well, of course, there were three women of color in New Orleans at the time. And uh, and I looked into that, and it was just fascinating with the uh, descriptions of the quadroon balls and the placés who were promised to uh, the pure white Creole men. Um, and so she was one of those. She had been uh, taken, uh, taken care of, you might say, by her mother at one of the quadroon balls when she was 15 or 16 years old. And she did the same for her daughter, Suzanne. Uh, now, the three women of color also could own businesses. And she, I made her into a midwife slash healer uh, and made her very well respected uh, and Seeing as how uh, Jackson actually did have dysentery when he arrived in New Orleans, um, and that's also known as the soldier's disease, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really bad for the leader to have. So, and Jackson also didn't uh, really trust uh, men who were necessarily highly educated. He trusted the common man, so it seemed very logical that he would ask for. Uh, besides having his regular doctor, who was Doctor Morell. Uh, he would ask for the most notable healer in uh, New Orleans, and that's how Catherine uh, uh, became part of his, uh, I guess you would call it his cabinet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, and she had uh, other issues besides of uh, motherhood and uh, had to deal with those and betrayal and loss. Mm-hmm. So that added some subplots to my story. Now, is Catherine an historical figure or is this a fictional character? She is fictional. She is uh, definitely fictional, but I based her on other information that I was able to find 
about women in the early 1800s. No, well, what I wanted to ask was the story about Jackson consulting Catherine about his dysentery. I mean, did Jackson consult some woman of color about that, uh, or don't you know? Not that I know of, no. But he he did. I do know that he uh, did have Dr. Morell, and however, he was not fond of doctors. He had had um, a situation in which he was shot that a number of doctors in another place wanted to amputate his arm. And he said, absolutely not. And they said, well, uh, you know, you're probably going to uh, lose your arm in another way. But no, he was back on the horse a month later, okay. uh, leading his men. Well, uh, another uh, character that you write about, again, I presume now a, a fictional character, is, but there were people like her in New Orleans, uh, Marguerite, a Creole plantation uh, mistress. Who was who was she? Well, again, she was one of my fictional characters, and I based her on uh, what I had found out about plantation mistresses. Uh, she was uh, pampered. Uh, she was absolutely adored her husband, and she wanted to uh, have a son with him, to give him a son to take care of the plantation. And um, she had gone to Catherine in my story, Uh, to help her become pregnant, and Catherine had given her uh, black uh, cohosh, which is a Native American root, which supposedly does work. And I think you can get some at Walgreens if you'd like. Anyway, (laughs) um, but so she uh, had some, and she did become pregnant, and then she ran into Catherine uh, later on when uh, Jackson came into town, and she recognized that she, uh, I'm talking about Marguerite now, Marguerite had very good leadership skills. She recognized that uh, she could get together all the Creole women. However, they needed some uh, advice about what kinds of medicines they could use for the upcoming battle in which they were sure they were going to have lots of uh, wounded. And so the two women bonded at that point. The cultural barriers fell because normally uh, free women of color did not associate with uh, white Creole Um, plantation mistresses. But uh, between the two of them, they were able to gather together the women of New Orleans to uh, turn the Ursuline convent slash school into a hospital. Mm -hmm. And that that part is true. The the Ursuline convent being the hospital. Yes. Well, since you brought that up, I was going to ask you at some point about the significance of the uh, Ursuline uh, convent in uh, the Battle of New Orleans. Well, it was very uh, important uh, because there wasn't any other uh, hospitalization. So they uh, had the hospital. Well, it was the convent slash school that was converted into the hospital. And the Creole women also, some of them, donated their uh, homes uh, for the wounded. Uh, the, ner- the nuns, however, who were Ursulines, um, it was a teaching order. So they really were not nurses, so it was perfect to have Catherine teach them what was necessary in terms of cleanliness, uh, medicines, what to do for the wounded, etc. Mm-hmm. And they stuck with the cause, if you will, all through the all through the battle. And I'm searching for some story, but I didn't write a note on it. Uh, that, that there was a patron saint, and they were constantly praying to the saint. Yes, that's Our Lady of Prompt Success, and I think it's pronounced Sucor in French. 
um, she was known to have uh, been the perpetrator or whatever of some miracles. Uh, when the nuns first arrived, uh, they had a small statue of uh, Our Lady of Prom Secours, and there was a huge fire in uh, New Orleans, which was aiming towards their convent. And they prayed to her, and uh, the fire turned around and went in the opposite direction. Uh, so they did pray to her. The entire congregation, uh, all the women, and this is true, gathered in the chapel uh, to pray to the lady on the night of the battle, um, hoping that some, <laughs> somehow she would come to their aid and the Americans would have success. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you about a third of your major characters, and that is Millie. Who was Millie? Oh, Millie is the very plucky patriotic prostitute. <laughs> yes. And um, she came along. Uh, she was told by her pirate boyfriend. Uh, and, of course, Jean Lafitte figures very strongly in uh, the Battle of New Orleans. Uh, and this was a pirate uh, who was in his, who lived in, on uh, Barataria also. And... He told Millie about Jackson coming in, and she wanted a different kind of life. I mean, who really wants to grow up to be a prostitute? And uh, so she went to uh, greet uh, Jackson when he came into New Orleans and overheard Marguerite and Catherine talking about how they were going to meet at uh, St. Louis Cathedral the following day. And she asked if she might join them, and they were wondering, well, exactly. Catherine was wondering exactly what skills she would have to offer, but um, she was indeed invited, and she did volunteer for the most dangerous job of all. Hmm. Which, which was? And you'd like to know that. Yeah. <laughs> she, she volunteered to pick up the wounded on the battlefield and also to bring supplies that the ladies had put together to the battlefield. So this was a, an extremely dangerous um, ordeal for her, uh, because you never know where the uh, redcoats would be, and and plus the fact that she really didn't know how to drive a cart, so mm-hmm. her pirate boyfriend taught her how to do that. She was quite plucky and uh, had a lot of spirit. We're talking with Sue Ingalls Finan about her historical novel, The Cards Don't Lie, about the Battle of New Orleans in uh early 1815. We'll be back with uh, Sue in just a moment. Want to put in a word for the Historians Podcast GoFundMe campaign. We appreciate your donations and we're running a bit behind last year. So please uh, consider a donation to help support the Historians Podcast. Our GoFundMe page is gofundme.com forward slash historians 2018. And they'll walk you through how to uh, give money. If you'd rather not uh, give the money online with your credit card, you could make out a check. To make out the check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. We're speaking with Sue Ingalls Finan about her historical novel, The Cards Don't Lie, about women who fought or who aided the American cause, if you will, in the Battle of New Orleans. Um, I think we generally talked about this, but you were describing your three main um, female characters, um, Catherine, Marguerite, and Millie. 
and they are based on real women. I mean, what if you can take off your novelist hat for a moment, can you give us a sense of what women in actual fact did uh, to aid uh, Jackson's cause? Ah, uh, we know for a fact that, again, uh, I'll mention the taking care of the uh, patients at the convent uh, slash school. Uh, we also know that um, they assembled all the bandages and gathered the blankets and the bed linens, and they had to launder all of them. Uh, they collected weapons, and they would use them if necessary. They knew that the British uh, were extremely brutal. Uh, they had heard the railing cry, beauty and booty, so they were quite nervous about the, that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they made soap and food and medicines. And the uh, final arriving volunteers, when they arrived in New Orleans, and this was after the first uh, battle, they were um, very scantily clothed. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. And uh, they needed clothing very badly. And, of course, the weather was terrible uh, with the night chills, etc. So the women uh, sewed the much-needed clothing for that. So all of these efforts uh, required coordination and organization, and that's what started me thinking. Who were these women, and um, what did they have to contend with besides their husbands and brothers and neighbors and sons heading into battle? The uh, book is titled The Cards Don't Lie, which is a reference to tarot cards, which are used for fortune telling. Uh, Why is that? Uh, One of the first things you see on Jackson Square are fortune tellers. And uh, it's the idea of it just came to me that it would be interesting to do the tarot cards with um, the not only showing the tarot card, but also the revelation that is consistent with what each chapter is. And uh, I just thought it would be a novel, novel way, pardon the pun, to um, introduce each chapter. And it, it ties in very nicely with New Orleans. Mm. And you become familiar, I mean, with tarot cards or, and pardon my ignorance on this, I mean, you read tarot cards to tell a fortune, is that how it... Uh, I have, I have. I, I am of Irish background and the Irish tinkers were well known for going around and uh, reading the cards. And I begin uh, the book with, um, in actually during the uh, revolution, where... Uh, an Irish gypsy has stopped at a homestead, and she is uh, telling the cards of the people who live at this homestead. And a young boy who's a courier in the uh, the revolution, he too would like his cards read. And so she's sitting across from him, and she's playing the cards and looking very glum because it's a very difficult reading. And she says, the most important battle of your life will actually take place where the trees have beards and some men wear the skins of animals and an outlaw will ensure your victory. And I see three plucky and extraordinary women, quite mysterious, says the gypsy as she uh, looks at the boy. And she says, just who are you? And he looks back at her with his steely blue eyes and says, my name is Andy, Andy Jackson. Uh-huh. And Yes, that's that's what starts my story, and that takes place in 
uh, September of 1780, and then we fast forward to August of 1812. And, and let me ask you, maybe at the behest of people who say, gee, Bob, why do you interview so many historical novelists? Is there any evidence that that scene actually happened to Jackson in one way or another? That he had his cards read? Yeah. Uh, no, but what I tied into it was shortly thereafter, the British did attack that particular homestead that he stayed in, and um, and demanded that he clean the boots of uh, the fellow in charge. And Jackson refused, and uh, the fellow took his uh, sword and was going to strike Jackson. Fortunately, Jackson put his arm up, but he still bore the uh, scar on his forehead and on his arm where it was slashed. And then they took off his shoes and marched him for 40 miles to the prison. And because of that, Jackson absolutely detested uh, the uh, Redcoats, of course, we were fighting the revolution anyway, but that all is in my story. Mm. Uh, and I must say, the, the book comes with, well, I don't know if the book does, but the press kit that I got comes with some a couple of tarot cards. They're quite good looking. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. Yes, they're, um, they're attractive. I don't like scary uh, things. You can get some that are rather scary looking, but um, this is the set that I've had for uh, quite a few years, and when I have so-called read the cards, um, it's kind of interesting to see how it all turns out. Sue Ingalls Finan is with us. Her book, The Cards Don't Lie, about uh, women and the battle of uh, New Orleans. I'm told the overall theme of your book is overcoming the odds, not only with the uh, city's battle against the British Army, or battles, but also each woman's personal struggles with loss, betrayal, and courage. Can you expand on that? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Um, The first character who you mentioned was Catherine, and uh, she had never questioned, uh, as a free woman of color, she had never questioned her role in society. She lived in an area which was all made up of three women of color. Uh, they were all placés. And um, and it was just part of her culture and her religion. She was Catholic as well as a voodoo priestess. Uh, and she was quite happy with what her situation was. Uh, however, because of a certain circumstance, she had a situation in which she had to uh, make up her mind to follow through on a promise that she made, and she, in so doing, she had a terrific loss, and you might say there was a betrayal. Um, it was She began to question the status quo of the New Orleans culture and started wondering, well, why is this so? What's wrong with my being friends with uh, uh, Marguerite, who was the Creole uh, plantation mistress? So that she had issues with motherhood, very definitely, uh, as far as Marguerite was concerned, um, she had problems with um, out-of-body experiences and hearing voices. And uh, because of this, this caused her <laughs> some unnerving at certain situations, and uh, such as when she saw her beloved husband go off to war. And you also meet her uh, having her first experience or your first experience with her having an out-of-body experience in St. Louis Cemetery at the mm-hmm. death of uh, one of her of the members of her family. And um, as far as Millie goes, she just was absolutely stunned by her falling for Pete the pirate 
And he, she was jealous of him because he had so much freedom, and that's what she wanted. She yearned to be free of her life. She didn't know how she was going to do it because prostitutes didn't have very many opportunities to do anything else. So that's basically what they were all uh, mm-hmm. looking for. And the conclusion for all three of them is optimistic, which is, I think, important. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they, they also found themselves. They grew. And uh, I thought that was important, too, that they were able to uh, grow and uh, start thinking more about their situation. And, uh, and the, the boundary lines did fall mm-hmm. for them. So. The uh, New Orleans uh, population is, is diverse. And uh, how did the different ethnic groups interact, or how do they interact in your book, and how did they actually interact during this time of the Battle of uh, New Orleans, the Creoles, the free blacks, the slaves, the uh, maybe even people from uh, the North were there? Uh, they did act, interact very well, because if they didn't, they would have lost. <laughs> so... Um, what I did find out was that even though there were different languages, uh, some of the men were able to communicate to the others in, in both French and uh, English. And they had, uh, you know, it was pre- predominantly French uh, when, they, when it was settled in 1718, but the, then uh, the Spanish took over for 40 years, and then, of course, we bought it in 1803. So... There were Spanish and Portuguese, also Germans and Irish, and like um, Africans and Yankees. And but they they made they used sign language and they had separate battalions, but they all got along together because they had to. Mm-hmm. And Jackson counted on them, and they knew that that they had to get along together, and they did so gladly. Yeah, so it shows in the face of what appeared to be an overwhelming uh, enemy, uh, it uh, kind of forges unity. Yes, yes, that was really important. They bonded, the women bonded, and that's what um, ensured victory. Also, (laughs) I might add that the the British did a couple of foolhardy things, uh, which helped Jackson quite a bit. And, of course, our late... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mentioned in my little... Uh, paragraph about the Battle of New Orleans from Wikipedia that the, the British general was killed, but practically all the officers of the British that they had on the ground were killed, which eventually made their uh, army rather, you know, leaderless. Yes. <laughs> and so they turned around and went back, or they hid under the dead bodies of their uh, cohorts because they saw that they were just going to be pummeled with. Um, the cannons and the uh, the sharpshooters, and they they didn't have any leadership anymore. Hmm. So yeah, and there there was also a situation in which uh, one group was supposed to bring uh, some kinds of ladders, fifteen, to climb up the rampart, and they never made it. So here the the guys who got to the rampart didn't have any way to climb up, so they were just gunned down. I mean, it was just a, a real devastation. Um, blood red all over the place. So, yeah. Sue Ingalls Finan, author of the historical novel The Cards Don't Lie, published by She Writes Press. We just have under two minutes uh, left. I wanted to ask you about your name, your, your middle name, Ingalls. You, you, <laughs> you related to Laura Ingalls Wilder. I am, yes. <laughs> I am related to her. Um, and 
I'm sure she's hovering around me right now <laughs> saying, onward, Sue. Yes. Uh, and, of course, she did uh, Little House on the Prairie, with which so many people are familiar. But um, my father was a descendant of Edmund Ingalls, who's the founder of Lynn, Massachusetts, in the early 1600s. And that's where Laura's family came from also. Mm. Well, now that this uh, book has been launched, uh, you always ask, is there another one coming? Well, there could be a sequel. If, uh, if When you get to the conclusion, Bob, you tell me what you think is going to happen next. I see. So this might mm-hmm. become a, a, a series, if you will. It could, yes. It, it's uh, definitely a possibility. Okay. Well, Sue Ingalls Finan, author of the book The Cards Don't Lie. It's about the Battle of New Orleans and women's role in that battle. Uh, The Cards Don't Lie is published by She Writes Press. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.